Hey everybody, it's Jason Madden. Thanks again for listening to the Doing the Thing podcast. This episode is more of a solo venture, uh, meaning that Phil wasn't able to join us. Um, but that's okay because we're experimenting uh, a little bit with doing some solo collaborations. And you know, you, you've probably heard some of our lightning rounds where we have a topic, we discuss it for just a couple minutes and not drag it on. Um, this, this particular episode, I was able to collaborate with Justin Clark from the Veterans Referring Veterans Group. Uh, this is also going to be, they also call that the VRV, but this, uh, this episode will also be on their podcast. So it was kind of a dual effort here. Uh, looking forward to you discovering a little bit more about the VRV. Uh, they're really interesting concept. Uh, they, they do a collaboration with veteran owned businesses. If you check out their site, veteransreferringveterans.com, you'll see a, a, a large listing of veteran owned businesses. And it's just helping them come to light and bringing them into in front of the consumer and also providing a really nice network, uh, kind of like you would get from, I don't know, maybe a Chamber of Commerce or BNI, but more virtual and nationwide rather than just your local community. It's more so that, that veteran community. So we had some really interesting con- uh, conversations about that, and we had some more conversations about what's going on right now. Uh, with the coronavirus and how that's affecting small businesses. So it was a really fun conversation. It was a little bit lighthearted. Uh, we joked around quite a bit. So, you know, if you like something that's a little bit um, unscripted, uh, but great quality, I hope you have a chance to listen in. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doing the Thing podcast. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Jason. Jason, how are you doing? Doing well, my friend. Good to see you. Yeah, you as well. And today I'm very excited. We're honored to have a very special guest. Um, Annie is joining us, and Annie is an MBA, CPA, and CKA, and she's worked for some major firms, Arthur Anderson and Company, H&R Block, and founded her own practice in 2006. Um, So quite a bit of experience in the accounting uh, tax strategy, and even into the operations of businesses. And the reason we're excited to have Annie today is many of the folks that Jason and I work with are approaching entrepreneurship. They're exploring the possibility of getting into business for themselves. And there's a lot of factors that come into that. And one of them certainly is how do I best structure my business for uh, leveraging all the legal <laughs> tax-saving strategies I can. Um, what should the corporate structure be? How do I uh, set up my bookkeeping programs, whatever they might be, to be streamlined and effective and what I need them to be? All of these questions have to be answered as you're launching your new business. Um, so we wanted to pick Annie's brain a little bit. Um, but before we start, um, I do want to say that everyone's circumstances are different. Every company has different nuances. So we're going to be talking in general terms today about some strategies to investigate. They may or may not be applicable to you. And what we suggest is if you hear something that sparks some interest on your part and you're working with a trusted advisor, an accounting firm, run these things by them, right? Run them by your trusted source. Conversely, if you need a trusted source, especially if you're in that early phase of opening, 
um, someone like Annie can be a wonderful resource to you. So with that, Annie, I'm going to turn it over to you and ask you to tell us a little bit about the work you do and your areas of expertise. Sure. First of all, thank you, Phil and Jason, um, having me today. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, about what I do, um, anything, almost anything money related that, you know, you know I'm here to help. Like Phil said, everyone's situation is different. Um, fortunately and unfortunately, I have went through um, big public accounting firms and some private corporations. And, and finally, I move up to financial service side and build up my own tax practice. So in the last almost 30 years, I've been working with um, companies overseas, companies here. I started my own practice solo. I have a consultant. My, com my clients owns C-Corporation, S-Corporation, partnership. So I think I know a thing or two that I might be helpful to the listeners, the audience here. So that's an overview in specific. From the tax perspective, when you decide to start um, a business, you want to explore the options that you have. I mean, the most important thing from IRS perspective is they want to make sure this is truly a business, not a hobby. That you want the, the biggest differentiation would be you want to make money. Hobby, not so much, but if you start business, that's the bottom line. You want to show profit. If the rule has not be changed, it should be three out of or two out of five years, you have to show profits when you start a, a business. The business structure really depends. However, it's strongly, highly recommended that you set up um, a business. It be be it be uh, it could be an LLC, a sole member LLC, or right now very popular is as corporation. However, it depends on what um, the government is want to advocate, what the tax structure or tax benefit they offer. At one point, and it could be in the near future that C corporation could be beneficial to you. That depends on number of owners type of business, the field, the industry, and how soon you anticipate business can grow. Ideally, you don't want to start um, from one business structure and then convert. That's, if you can avoid it, that's highly recommended. It's confusing, mm. it's time consuming, and it costs money. Mm. To have a business structure is to mainly, this is, I'm a CPA, so I'm very conservative. Mainly is to shield liability. You want to make money and you don't want to get sued. That's the bottom line, mm -hmm. right? Who wants to do that? Like, um, I don't think everyone is Bill Gates or former president, Mr. Trump. You don't have that kind of resources to throw around. Um, being a business owner is great. You have the freedom, but also you are kind of 
locked up, locked up 24-7 um, when you try to build your business from the ground up. So you have to kind of um, consider like what, what your goal is, how soon you want to make a profit. For some of my clients, they start their business while they're still working for corporation for other people. So the suggestions I usually, I will provide is, why don't you start by not quitting your job, but you start the entrepreneur on the side and then, you know, there's going to be a crossover. At that point, you can quit your day job and then devote fully to your entrepreneurship, especially for those um, professionals, they already have business. I mean, I'm sorry, they already have family. If they have okay. a younger um, children to support, I will highly recommend that. <clears throat> um, to It's just safer that way, personal opinion. Can I ask a question real quick? Um, so, so some of our clients, they don't have the benefit or the luxury of starting um, while they're still employed because maybe, maybe they're in between and they're in limbo and it's been a hard time for them to get that next job. And sometimes that business and getting it started right away makes more sense. So what's some, what are some of the words of wisdom that you give, give to some of those, those individuals? Okay, I'm joking when I say no. And, okay. <laughs> um, well, I do have a clients like that. To, I have to ask what I had the client I had before. His wife um, works for a corporation, so two spouse, one has steady income. And another way of doing it, of course, you have to borrow if you need capital. Ideally, if you have a savings, that's what I recommend you first tap into. Or if you left corporation, you have 401k, ideally, you don't want to do that. Um, you've got to weigh the, if you go out and borrow a loan, the interest rate versus yeah. you withdraw from your 401k or IRA, you have to pay income tax plus penalty. You kind of have to play around with the numbers. I am not big with borrowing because then you kind of, you have to pay interests. Mm -hmm. But in that, the situation you just described, I would explore that. Or, you know, if you are qualified, you can borrow from SBA, yeah. which is not mm -hmm. as terrible of, you know, the rate. Yes, However, fixed rate, secured loan, right. et cetera. Yeah. Right. But, if you are exploring borrowing money, you know, you might want to borrow from family because, and then, but you set up an agreement, you mm -hmm. are not still changing your family, but if you are paying interests, I am all for the people I know of, right? So if you can borrow from family member, you sign an agreement, just like what you do with SBA or the bank, you pay back the interests to your family. Yeah, keep it keep it in-house. And you know, some of the strategies that some of our clients use are, are some of those things, and sometimes it's all of the above. So sometimes we do a little bit of mixing and matching. Um, 
Like for example, I had a client that you used the Rob's uh, retirement rollover program to, you know, get a little bit of extra money so that they can uh, qualify for that SBA loan uh, liquid asset requirement, but they're not liquidating their entire retirement and they're using the Rob's program as a tax shelter as well, because they're converting it into a C corp instead of withdrawing those funds with that tax penalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah, and, and that, that was some advice that we had received from some CPAs in the past as well, too, you know, when we're, um, don't put all your eggs in one basket and don't just rely on living and eating off of a loan. You know, you have all these other resources at your disposal to include, like, maybe even some home equity. You know, that could be some of the lowest interest rates that you can get. That's actually lower than the SBA right now uh, to be able to use some of that, those funds if, if they apply to you. Um, so, so pivoting to some of the other questions that we had at the very beginning, um, once, once somebody launches that new venture, uh, what is the trigger point for them to really start paying themselves a salary? That's a question that I get frequently. Well, um, it really depends. Um, to pay yourself a salary, of course, the first, I, I believe the first factor you want to start asking that question is, of course, you, you, have, you show profits, right? Mm-hmm. That will only make sense that when you have profits, then the rules I just mentioned about business versus hobby that the IRS wants you to show the profit. So two, three years into the business, you probably is ready to draw salary. However, if it's a partnership or a single member LLC, you will be um, not necessarily you'll, you'll put on payroll, you'll have a partnership draw etc now it's a good and bad nothing's perfect to draw a salary the positive thing is uh, when you go apply for a credit card if you apply for um, an apartment or you want to purchase um, a piece of property right you have a w2 a scale yeah Um, and then the the cause of it will be you will be paying the work compensation premium will be higher um and you know the employer portion of the taxes those are things you want you have to consider and if you use quickbooks online regardless you use qbo's payroll service or gasto or other payroll services amp you have to pay a fixed expenses plus um, the variable portion, number of employees. So those are, then they become a fixed expenses. In accounting terms, the fixed expenses is regardless you have sales or not, you have to pay. Um, Of course, you are the owner, you can decide, okay, maybe I will stop paying myself salary. Um, But then that that looks um, ambiguous because IRS do, um, a comparison. They actually run a software and to see if the the margin, you know, for our, I don't, I don't know, I'm not an auditor, but they do the comparison report and if it's out of a norm, it might trigger audit. And I, 
I'm not sure if you read the newspaper. It's um, lots of IRS no. agents coming out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 that, that. But supposedly they were saying it's not going to start until 2023, and supposedly they are going to focus on the AGI or the combined income. Uh, maybe not AGI. Um, we are not sure about definition, but supposedly the income level is 400,000 and above. Okay. okay. Yeah. So they want to try to shy away from hitting the middle income class. Small, but, small businesses and stuff like right. that. I hope. Yeah. Right. You, but you never know. Yeah. Because one of the body category from what I heard is random. So it's income level is irrelevant. Yeah. 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 Um, but on that same line, um, as it relates to businesses, if I understand correctly, the IRS references NAICS codes, which are uh, industry definitions, and they have benchmarking for each of those NAICS codes. And if your home office deduction through any other deduction you may take exceeds uh, that benchmarking, that potentially flags you, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Home office usually okay. seven to ten percent. Um, I do have a, a a client that he feel that he first he was saying. Well, first of all, I'm very surprised because his previous three CPAs never mentioned home office. I don't know why. And but then after I told share with him that he can deduct home office, he gave me thirty percent. And I'm I'm like okay thirty percent is triple times. That's of a big office. The norm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but um, is that the whole house? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But they are doing very well, and um, so I could I could see. However, to claim home office, you need to be regularly and exclusively using that space for business. So sometimes it's hard. You do you do commingle, right? And yeah. so, yeah. After you know some conversations, he did back down to ten percent. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to pick your brain on something else. Um, as the saying goes, it doesn't matter what you make; it matters what you keep, right? And there are many many tax saving strategies um, that. Folks may not be aware of that can put drop more to the bottom line. Uh, the ERC program comes to mind immediately, but any area of expertise, what commonly are some of those not well known or large revenue opportunity kind of tax saving strategies you're aware of and you help your clients with? Well, thank you, Phil. I think this. Um... Another easy answer, um, question to answer, but if we start with the new business, for example, for the new business of, uh, adventure that once they pick out an accounting software to use, from the expenses portion, um, we can help to identify what are eligible expenses, such as cell phone, landline if they are for business use that portion could be deducted um, such as you take potential clients out 
uh, for meal, that can be deducted. Your vehicle, the car you drive, if they are used for visiting clients for um, go-to stables, for example, those business-related um, mileage can be deducted. However, there are certain IRS regulations required. Um, for example, if it's business-driven vehicle, they prefer to see um, a lock, the date, and you know the odometer reader, which client that you visit, and for what purpose. Um, so that's you know it. That's why you want to use accounting software. It's tedious, and when you start a business, I assume you enjoy working um, for that profession. At the same time, you got compensated for what you do. Usually, business owners, they are not crazy about keeping records. And it's just, it's just something a little bit boring. <laughs> if you don't do it on a regular basis, it's a very, it's a very easy to lose track and to know what you did. I don't remember what I did yesterday, honestly. <laughs> so, that makes sense. That's why you need an accounting software or you need a CPA or a bookkeeper to help you. And when you are business start to grow, that you start making a profit, then the business trap, that there are more that you can play around with, um, such as you can set up an employee benefit program. But that has to be offered to all employees. Okay. Yes. So, um, and then you can have a home office, for example, because other than, I don't know what kind of franchise you are referring to. I'm going to use one of my clients as example. Um, he is a, a Blimpy a franchiser. So other than working at the store during the regular business hours, at times perhaps you would need to process payments, pay franchise fee, et cetera, at home, so he could have a home office expenses. And if he has children, believe it or not, children are very useful when it comes to tax deductions. Plus, not so much, because they don't have social security numbers. Now, not yet. <laughs> for the children that, um, if, of course, it has to be a right age, like, for example, 10, 12, mm -hmm. they are capable of helping with certain tasks. It's very rare you can entrust a seven-year-old to do a bookkeeping, right? So that's, that's just asking for trouble. But if you have a 12-year-old who is responsible, who is very good with using you know, Excel or spreadsheets, can you entrust him or her to do some certain record keeping um, or help cleaning the store or purchase supplies online? Yeah, then you can pay the minimum wage. Um, and as if you are sole proprietor or sole member LLC, and they are your um, children, you don't have to pay employer portion of payroll taxes. 
So it's great. It's a business deduction. You are um, training your children to be responsible, to know what work is like. They got paid. And that tied to your one of your questions about multi-generational planning. The beautiful thing is once they have earned income, you can contribute, set up a guardian retirement account, be it an IRA or Roth IRA. They can contribute to that account. Although it's not much, but the compounding factor of it, even though six years before they go to college, it's still very possible we can double the return or the balance um, money you put in. So it's, I, you know, it just, it's just in a way, it's very exciting that you see your money working for you because we all have 24 hours and it's a very efficient way. And that's great. Um, so since, since you kind of started the topic on, on having family help in the business and things like that. So what are some of the, um, you know, multi-generational benefit plans that people can incorporate into their businesses. You know, that can be through, you know, the payroll. It can be through like, um, you know, acquiring the business and transfer of the business later on down the road. What, what does that look like in your opinion? Well, um, I think it's good. Like you were saying before, I am all for keeping everything to the business, to the family. If, if it makes sense, um, if you got along, right? <laughs> yes. I have, a, I used to have a client that who owns gas stations and that was 20 years ago. For some reason, there's a lot of cash and he likes to, he wants to expand meaning to purchase or have other gas stations. What he did is he purchased life insurance policy on his grandchildren, okay? And the details, I um, am not going to go into that, but with the proper plan, yes, you can, um, <laughs> it's, there's some um, cash you can borrow against from the life insurance policy. And that has to be properly discussed by, um, security mm -hmm. license professionals on that. Some so infinity uh, banking, right? Yes. And also, um, you know, living together is hard, but God bless you if your spouse can work with you and you have a different talents. You know, what not so great is if you work together, you go home together and all you talk about is this, that's not very healthy. In my opinion, no, I agree. But if you could, um, it's it's great. Um, you have a different talents. You work on different group departments. Um, that's but don't that if it's husband and wife run the business. What you have to be careful is when you file returns. It's called partnership returns. Okay. Ah. So that that and. Um, about estate planning, about multi-generation, that's something really need to consider. I have a client, it's a dental practice, 
have two sons. One is not in the practice, but one is. So when you do the estate planning, you want to basically want to be fair, assuming you love them both equally. You want to take care of them both, but one is in practice, one isn't. You don't want when you, not you, but the owner doesn't want, the client doesn't want when he passed, then the practice has to, if the practice doesn't have enough cash, the one son cannot buy the other one out, so to speak, because he received the half of the inheritance. Right. He's already that paid. Be, right. So that has to be proper planned. The estate planning, the important issue on is the planning is the cash issue. Because you have to pay the government, the estate taxes, if you do owe, that you have to pay. And if you have uh, more than one beneficiaries and one is in the business, one isn't, how are you going to take care of that? So those are um, not more so about money. It's more about emotions and what kind of legacy you want to leave. Right. But, you know, if you're gone, you're gone. Why should you even worry about it? <laughs> I don't. You know, they will figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Circling back to the um, having your children on the payroll, I love that yes. because there's a double benefit to that. You're teaching them financial yes. literacy, and at the same time, you're leveraging a tax advantage. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I I think actually I think it's more than just two. You know, the powerful of compounding, and if the children are putting into the retirement account, that is so many benefits to it, yeah. right? Um, to the kids, they don't understand. They think they will never get old like us, but I mean, me, like me. <laughs> I mean, no. there's money there that I can't have. Yeah. It's weird, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, yes, but with proper provision, um, you could, like a Roth IRA after five mm -hmm. years, you can withdraw them. And that's why you want to start the children early on that, to start the clock ticking. Excellent. And we're coming close to the close, but I do want to circle back um, because many folks may not be aware if, if they've been in business through the pandemic, that there were some significant um, tax opportunities, tax savings opportunities, most specifically the employee retention credit. And if you wouldn't mind, Annie, just kind of give us how that works and what the guidelines to be uh, to apply for that would be. Sure. Thank you, Phil. That's very important. Um, I think during pandemic, the most popular loan is PPP, and yeah. we run PPP one and two, and the it's so popular because it's it's in a way relatively easy to apply and it, you know relatively easy to be forgiven, but that pool of money is gone. However, the employee retention credits ERC that Phil mentioned, there's there's isn't a funding. There's no pool of money. That's basically for the business there in existence during pandemic, that 2019 is our base year. Um, they're in business, they have an employee. They are allowed to, not allowed, they are, they could file um, a forms to IRS and request to have 
their employer portion of payroll taxes refunded to them. So your criteria usually is you are in business in 2019, you continue operate through 2020 and 2021, but due to pandemic, you are ordered, your business are ordered to partially or fully close from the federal government or your state government that impact your business operations, your sales went down significantly. So we'll use 2019 as a base compared to 2020 returns, uh, the sales numbers by quarters, and look at your payroll tax filed to determine how much you can receive your portion of employer payroll taxes back. By the same token, we do the same exercise to compare 2019 versus 2021. So for 2020, you can get about 5,000 per employee. In 2021, you can get up to 7,000 per employee for the first three quarters of 2021. But don't call me on that because sometimes they do change the rules, but that's the general concept of that. Because IRS is shortchanged during pandemic and there are a lot of things are needs to be taken care of. The processing time is long, it's lengthy. And unlike the regular returns filing, most of them are done electronically now. For the ERC, it's done manually. You have to say in the paper returns. Hmm. So it takes a while. If you are qualified, it's recommended that you start the process as soon as possible. My firm does um, help business to file the returns. And we don't, we charge a minimum fee to start so that you don't go around as three CPA firms to do that for you. Um, but mainly our fee, 90%, we don't ask you to pay us until you receive a refund from IIS. Um, Annie, a couple very quick follow-up questions. Number one, I wanna make sure I heard you correctly. The businesses that qualify have to have been shut down during the pandemic for a period of time, or is this credit going to them for keeping their employees regardless if they had a certain decline? That's question one. Question two is, does it apply to solopreneurs or is it only employee driven? The second question is easier. If you're a solo, the answer is no. You cannot apply for ERC. And the <laughs> first questions, the first questions is you, the rules in general is you have to be partially or fully shut down, ordered by federal or the state government, and then you still have employee on payroll. That's the general rule. Got it. Very clear. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phil. I almost forgot it's the important topic. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, well. you know, it's still going on. There's no deadline. And because you are asking for your employee portion back of the payroll taxes. So, you know, the money is there and you can ask. It's all for you to ask.
That's fantastic. So good news to you guys out there that were in business during that time and you had some employees. Um, so I think we'll wind it down for now. Um, Annie, thank you so much for all the wonderful information today. And I hope that uh, it serves the audience well. Uh, we're going to make sure that we go ahead and share this out, put it on our websites and stuff like that. So people can hear all about this topic. Um, uh, Annie, uh, for those that want to uh, connect with you, how can they, what's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, well, I think my website would be a good starting point. You can check me out there and there's some, um, I think short articles I wrote years ago that um, it would helpful for the business owners. Um, my website address is www.atlantiscpa.com. Atlantis is that, you know, that, that underwater city, city, city. Yeah. It's A-T-L-A-N-T-I-S-C-P-A dot com. Wonderful. And we'll put the rest of your information in the show notes. And those of you out there listening, please, you know, if you like this, please go ahead and share it with your friends. Uh, let us know uh, what you think. And if you have any questions, if you need help connecting with Annie. Uh, until then, we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well.